I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. I'm really excited. I got someone here I've been wanting to talk to since he got me to talk about my bad John Harper. <laughs> Welcome, John. Barbara, thanks so much for having me on. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. And I get to kind of talk about you now a little bit. That's and fine. That's okay. I want to tell everyone a little bit about you. You're a former elementary school teacher and current assistant principal at Sandy Hill Elementary at Cambridge, Maryland. Hey, I grew up in Maryland. So this is what? cool. Yeah, I grew what? up I grew up in Maryland. I lived there until I was 18. Oh my gosh, where in Maryland? I lived at well, I lived in Silver Spring, then went to Bethesda, and then okay. moved out here to California. Wow. So got, when I saw Maryland, I went, oh yay. It's a fun <laughs> place to grow up, right? It is. It's very nice. It's close to the city, close to DC, close to Baltimore, close to Ocean City. I know. And I used to spend every summer in Ocean City. So yeah, I miss it. It's really cool. Great place nice. to raise children. It's just wonderful. It is. Uh, are you a part of Montgomery? I'm, I was in Montgomery County Schools. No, we're on the Eastern Shore. We're actually on the way to Ocean City. So you drove through Cambridge on the way to Ocean City. Ah, actually, I remember it now. Great ca- crab cakes. <laughs> yes, yes. Very good to <laughs> So, okay, back to work. I want to tell them a little about that. Your mission, your mission is to help people of all ages realize that it is okay to make mistakes, especially really big ones. And Actually, I kind of made a really big one. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit. And it was, <laughs> you know, John, you're pretty amazing. I do one podcast. You do two. You do My Bad and Teacher Aid. And uh, you have some news. Your book just came out. You have a book about My Bad, right? Yes, I'm very excited. I've got a book that I just published, just came out. It's called My Bad, 24 Educators That Messed Up, Fessed Up, and Grew. And it, it was a two-year journey that I, I had no idea what it took to write a book. And just the feeling of being done and hoping that it helps a lot of people is very exciting to me right now. Well, we're going to go into that a little bit later because I, 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 I kind of want to hear some of the stories, too, about it. But before we do that, I always like everyone to tell us a little bit about you, your family where you live, how you got there? Absolutely. I lived, I've lived on the Eastern Shore of Maryland since I was six. And like you said, Maryland's quite different. And where I live, it's very rural. There's, you know, you can go through a town and there's only a couple stoplights. But I'm about an hour and a half from Baltimore, an hour and a half from D.C., and an hour from the beach. So it's great. I taught elementary school for 10 years. I taught first grade, second, fourth, and fifth then I wanted to try something different. I became a math coach for about three or four years. And I never thought I would become an administrator, but I got the itch and started applying. And after about my 13th year, I became an assistant principal. And I've been an assistant principal ever since. And I live about 20 minutes from where I work in the town of Easton, Maryland, with my wife and amazing kids. My wife is a math coach also, and much better than I ever was. And I have two kids, Derek, who's seven, and Bailey, who's 13. And just life is good for me. I'm a very lucky man. Oh, that is so cool. So you, you've always, your family has always lived in Cambridge? 
ever since I've lived in Cambridge since I was six. Okay. So we, and we just moved to Eastern Maryland about a year ago. So we, I lived there for 42 years. So when you say Eastern Maryland, is that oh, sorry, a- East, Eastern Maryland, Eastern, sorry, Eastern. Oh, oh, right. I don't know Eastern. That's a new one for me. I'll have to look it up. And you said it's very rural. That's kind of nice. It is. It's very quiet. I'll be honest. My son and I, we we can kick soccer in the backyard and there's a small airport nearby and we watch the planes fly over. And it's not like if you're in a big city where it's kind of loud and obnoxious. I mean, it's just beautiful to sometimes play soccer or football at night and see the stars and watch the planes land and not watch them land, but watch them fly over and you almost feel like you can touch them. It's just beautiful. Oh, that sounds amazing. So you kind of touched on all the things I was going to kind of go into a little bit, but so let's just go back to when you were, when you were young. Sure. What was it like when uh, you were a student? When I was a student, I'll be honest, as an educator, I, I shouldn't admit this, but when I was a student, I didn't think much about the schoolwork. I thought about, you know, playing soccer and playing tennis and getting home and running around outside and just having a great time. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I always, I try to get my kids to read and they're great readers. But then I think about it. I'm thinking when I came home from school, I'm sure I didn't do a lot of reading, but it's fun growing up on the Eastern Shore of Maryland in Cambridge. It's just a wonderful place to live. It's peaceful. It's quiet. A lot of fresh air. And I have very fond memories of my childhood. My dad coached my soccer team and I played, you know, I, I spent probably 95% of my life my childhood within one square mile. And actually I work at the school. I'm assistant principal where I went to elementary school. And I used to, you know, play tennis about 300 yards away. I used to play soccer half a mile away and I kicked footballs right next to the school. So I spent pretty much my whole life in one, one small area. Oh my goodness. That's unusual. Some people live like they said, the average is 11 times in their life. And uh, it's just, so you went to Sandy Hill? I did. I did. And I used to be able to walk, used to be able to walk to school. Now everybody's, you know, it's it's a bus, but it's, you know, it's funny. I, I went to Sandy Hill and I can remember, you know, pretty much every classroom. And that's where I actually got the itch to become a teacher was at Sandy Hill. I I, I never thought I was going to be a teacher. It's it's a crazy journey that I surprised. And it's, I'm I'm glad I did become an educator. I never would have guessed it though. So why did you say that? What what were you thinking you were going to do? Instead of being a teacher, you know. Yeah, you know, you know, Barbara, I went to undergrad at a school called Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, a small liberal arts school, majored in philosophy. And I really had no idea what I wanted to do with that. And I came out and my dad was a doctor and I thought, well, maybe I want to be a doctor. So I went back and took pre-med courses for a couple of years. And while I was waiting, I applied to med school. While I was waiting to hear, my mom said, well, won't you you got to get a job. You got to do something. You can't just sit around the house all day. And she said, why don't you go substitute down the street at the elementary school? And I thought, you're out of your mind, mom, but you know, I'm staying for free. I'm getting to do, you know, I I can't really argue. I got to get some money. And so I started substituting and I absolutely loved it. And when I got, you know, I got waitlisted and then I got turned down for med school. It was the best thing that could ever happen because I decided to go back and get an elementary degree. And that was, that was before they had like uh, MATs, in other words. So I had to go back and get a whole separate bachelor's, but it only took about two years. And, you know, couldn't be happier. I was 26 when I started teaching. So I guess most, a lot of people, I shouldn't say most, a lot of people are maybe in the 21, 22, but I think it was an advantage being a little bit older when I started because I was, you know, I didn't take things too seriously when I was younger, but 
and not that I take things very seriously now, but I think I was better. I was better starting at 26 than I would have been at 21. Uh, so how long did you teach? I taught for 10 years. And, taught for 10 years. And you were teaching math, did you say? I'm sorry, I didn't write it down. No, I was, I was a math coach later math on, but I taught, I taught, uh, taught everything. I taught, started off teaching second grade. Okay. My very first year I taught, I taught second grade. And actually one of the students that I taught in my first class is a teacher in the school where I'm assistant principal now. It's kind of cool. So <laughs> I taught second grade, first grade, fourth grade, and then about six years of fifth grade. So mostly fifth grade, but I also taught the little ones some too. You know, it's fun. I sometimes think, oh, I always love the fourth and fifth grade because they're ready to do the projects and, you know, you can really, but it is kind of fun when you can work with all different ages and kind of see them grow. Some people even take the same kids and they just follow with them. Yes, I got that experience at the very first school where I worked because I taught the kids in second and then I taught them in fourth and then I taught them in fifth. So I had, a, I had some students for three different years. And it's, it's fun, you know, when you work at the different levels, you can fully appreciate what those teachers are doing at each level. I mean, I fully appreciate every teacher, but, you know, you hear the conversation sometimes where people say, oh my gosh, well, they didn't get them ready for third grade. They must not have done anything last year or this, that, or the other. And I'm sure I've been guilty of that. But when you teach at the different levels, you understand everybody is busting their tail to do everything. It's just, you know, sometimes kids aren't ready and sometimes it can be difficult, but teaching the different levels gives you a full appreciation of it, where people, where students come from and, you know, where they've been. Oh, that sounds wonderful that you were able to stay at the school that you went to and then actually have these kids and follow them. So when did you, um, so after 10 years, then you became a math coach? Is that how, kind of how it I did. I I went to a different county, actually the county where I live now, but and you know, I started applying for some administrative positions and I didn't get any, but then there was a position available and someone wanted to hire me as a math coach. And I thought, well, you know what, that's that's a little bit different. That's kind of like a transition in a way to becoming an administrator. It's a different view, it's a different skill set. And so I went back and I I tried it and I, I really enjoyed it. It was it was nice. I did that for about three years. And I say about because it's funny. I get asked questions about how long I've taught or how long I've done this. And I really, I can't store certain things in my brain. Like, <laughs> I'm not really sure how long I've been an assistant principal. Or it's, I, it's crazy. But I was a math coach about three years. Well, it all kind of runs together because you're still at the same school or stay around the same area. And you know a lot of the kids. It does. Uh, it does and, run together. It's just yeah. kind of seamless. And, and it seems like, I mean, being a coach, I, I'm a, I was a coach and I still am. And right. I get really attached to the teachers. I mean, I really want to, I mean, it's all about the kids, but the right. teachers work so hard. They, it's really nice to be able to support them in any way you can, right? No, that's huge. I mean, that's a big, that's a lot of what I enjoy doing. And that's, that's one of my passions you mentioned earlier with Teachers Aid is that I see what teachers are going through and some of the struggles, you know, and how, how difficult it is to teach. I mean, without a doubt, I mean, some people might disagree, but teaching is much, much more difficult now than it was when I started 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago, you had to differentiate instruction and you did differentiate some of the social emotional needs, but now there's so many different things to take into consideration. And it's just, I have such admiration for what teachers are, are doing now. It's incredible. I I am exactly where you are because I've always been a I've been a coach for some time and 
I have teachers tell me they've never worked this hard and it should be just the opposite, especially with all the tools that are available. When we talk about personalizing learning and the kids can take over, but it, it isn't, there's just so much on their plate. There is, you know, and there's an amazing book out called uh, Never Work Harder Than Your Students, I think it is, by Robin Jackson. She's got an amazing book at that, and it is, but it, I mean, teachers are working harder than their students, and yeah. I mean, they're giving everything they can, and plus they have lives at home, and it's just tough, and so, you know, some of what I, Mandy and I talk about at Teachers, one Teacher's Aid with the guests that we have, or just how to take care of some of the different, difficult issues the teachers face. It's hard. It's hard. Well, it sounds like you're you're, you know, you're there for them. And so when did you became, uh, become assistant principal there? I became assistant principal at the same building where I was a math coach about seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. And it was, uh, wow. that was, that was good. And it's because sometimes that can be difficult to go from a coach to an assistant principal, but I was able, as, as a coach, I was able, I was in all the classrooms and I knew the students, I knew the parents, I knew the teachers. And so it, it worked out pretty well. It, it was, it was good. So, um, okay. So something happened when you were there that made you want to do podcasts, right? I mean, was it while you were with the teachers or, I mean, which one did you start first? Which podcast did you start first? My bad. You know what, what happened with me was... This unknown educator, I don't know, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, and maybe some of our listeners have heard of him, this guy named Todd Whitaker. Oh, I know Todd. I'm kidding. I'm just, now I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) I went to NAESP, and I heard Todd Whitaker speak, and he said, you know what, if you're not on Twitter, you got to be on Twitter. I think this is 2013 or 2014, and until then, I wasn't on anything. I had no idea. I thought, you know what, whatever. This is a place where people follow movie stars. I'm not, but I got on. And then I heard about this thing called blogging, and I thought that was neat, and so I started blogging. And then after that, I started the My Bad podcast, and then last year we started Teacher's Aid, or Manny and I took over Teacher's Aid. Oh, well, that, so let's tell everyone about My Bad first, and then, I mean, actually, let's talk about Teacher Aid first, because we want to go into your book. Sure. (laughs) So let's talk about that and why you did, you started that one. Well, Teacher's Aid actually came second. Teacher's Aid, there's, there's so many personal issues that teachers face every day that I think aren't always addressed. There's, there's so many amazing books out there on how to become a better educator, but there's not so much out there about how to take care of, how teachers can take care of, how, how we can take care of ourselves and the personal issues that we face. And so Manny and I are able to have amazing guests on that talk about you know, anxiety, time management, fear, setting goals. I mean, we've had, you know, Dan Pink came on and talked about time management. We had uh, KJ Delantonio come on and talk about the guilt we feel as parents. I mean, it's just, Mm. there's so much to take on, you know, because I think oftentimes, I mean, you know how it is. You know how students only see, kids only see educators as educators and they see you out in the store, you know, it's so cliche to see you at Walmart and they think, oh my gosh, I thought you lived at the school, but now we, <laughs> we have lives outside of that. And that's, that's what we try to take on with teachers aid is just to try to help teachers give them some tools for becoming better at dealing with the difficult issues they face. Well, the thing that, you know, when you and I both said that teachers are saying they never worked harder Right. I can see Teachers Aid helping these people because they, um, 
many of them are isolated in a class and they may not even have time to collaborate with the teacher even next door. Right. I mean, every, it's, there's just so much that they're doing that they finish school and they rush home, they go to the store, they do all the things they have to do. They don't even have time to decompress. So yeah, it's phenomenal. It's interesting to say that because I actually I used to live a minute from school. And now that I've moved to Eastern Maryland, I have a 30 minute commute and I actually I enjoy it because it gives me time to decompress. Whereas, I mean, it's nice to be a minute from your school, but it's tough to go from school and everything, and then all of a sudden you're home. It's like sometimes I would have to go home and just go upstairs, put my headset on, or just be by myself for 15 or 20 minutes just to decompress and sort of reset for the day. Well, and some people listen to podcasts. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. Like your podcast on the way home. So that's really pretty cool. I think what we want to do, I want to do is go, I'm going to look more at Teacher Aid podcast, and you know, we're going to make a blog together to put up Mm -hmm. with this. It'd be kind of nice to show people where that is because I think a lot of teachers would be really wanting this. Uh, You probably have a lot of people that view it now and listen to them. Um, So it's wonderful. Is there any that stands out really that that, uh, really made a difference for some teachers that you can think of? We had one, actually the one that we just published or that was just released last week by Phyllis Fagel. She's an amazing guidance counselor. And she writes a lot about middle school. She's actually got a book coming out uh, this year. I think it's in August called Middle School Matters. But she was our recent guest. And on that, we talked about how it's okay to let your emotions come out. It's okay to show your emotions at school. Because oftentimes we think, you know, we have to be almost like robots. We can't cry or we can't be sad or we can't be angry even. And, you know, on that episode, we talked about how it's okay to show emotions, you know, because kids are going to show emotions. Now, obviously we have to keep them under control, but I think sometimes we keep them so bottled up that it can become dangerous at times where we just, you know, we have anxiety. We, I mean, people have, you know, literally heart attacks and strokes because they just keep everything so bottled up. And it's Hmm. just, just to let people know it's okay to show emotions. It's, It's okay to you know, you're, you're human, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to show your emotions sometimes. And there's going to be people there that you can lean on to help you during those times. That's when I would definitely going to look at that one and listen to it and put a link to it because I've had some teachers contact me saying that they feel like they're going to explode. There's just there's right. many things that are happening in their lives and they just have to hold it all in. And so it'll be good to get her book too, you know, to let people know about her book. Yeah, she writes amazing blog pieces. I mean, she she is a, a right education writer for the Washington Post, and her blog pieces are amazing, and she's just phenomenal. How do you get some of these people on your show? I mean, how do you find them? You know, it, is it on what Twitter? <laughs> it's on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter is the main thing. I started, yeah. I guess, three or four years ago, and it's just through blogs. And, you know, the funny thing is, you know, we see a lot of these folks on Twitter and, you know, they have, maybe they have a ton of followers or they have a book or they have this or that. And we think, oh my gosh, we can't approach them or we can't. And and so many folks, if you just message them, if you tweet them, if you, whatever, they reach right back out and they, they'll talk right to you. I mean, they'll respond, they'll come on your show because they're just, you know, they're selfless, selfless. Let me make sure I say that clearly selfless and they want to help people become better. And 
so many educators are like that. I've been so lucky that, you know, when you reach out to people, they're right there for you. Well, that's how I found it. And um, I've been on Twitter a long time. I love, I love Twitter. I love, you know, all the different things that um, I learn in just so few words and links and, you know, um, and the connections I've made. It's helped me. And I can see how it's helped you with this because you're meeting people like Phyllis. I, that's wonderful. In fact, some of the other people you mentioned, Daniel Pink, who is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. wild to sit there, you know, I, I read someone's book and then I think, you know, I'm talking to him. I mean, and he's just, you know, he's just very personable and you just talk to some folks and it's just, it's amazing. It's, you know, some people you read their books like, uh, you know, when I interviewed Dave Burgess, I mean, he was amazing <laughs> and he's exactly like you would think. I mean, full of 100% energy and enthusiasm. And he actually wrote in, in, in my book, I said, you know, after talking to him, I hadn't been in the classroom for seven or eight years, but after talking to him, I think I could have gone back in the classroom. I know he's, I've had him on my podcast too. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and I, I actually, it was, I wish I could have bottled up that energy. He's, Oh my gosh. I know. It's awesome. I mean, he's, he's so intense. Dude. He, he really is. is, but he's just amazing. And I, I don't you feel lucky. I feel so fortunate to the people I've met. And, oh, I do. And it's, and then when you finally meet someone at a conference that you either talk to or tweeted with or voxed or whatever, it's just, that, that, that's the really neat thing. Yeah, that's how I, it's, it's fun for me because sometimes you may only see people on Twitter and you've never met them in person. And then when you finally meet them at a conference, it's like you've known them forever, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Especially, I mean, if, if you've read their blog or listened to their podcast, or maybe you've voxed them. I mean, vox, I, I vox with some people and it's like, you know, I know some of these people on Twitter and social media more than I know my next door neighbor. Oh. Or you know, someone on. in my neighborhood. I mean, something yeah. like that. I mean, it's just amazing. They got to get on Twitter. <laughs> That's right. I got to get them on there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's talk about my bad. Um, first, I have to say, I had to think about my, you know, when you asked me to come on there, it was. Um, right. It's not easy. It's not easy to think about. No, no it's, it's hard to, sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's it's fine. I just do know that I had so many mistakes I've made that how do you choose one? And how do you, do you share them out? And many teachers are afraid to be vulnerable or show that vulnerability. And, um, you know, it was kind of scary telling people what I did. It It is. It can be tough. It's definitely tough at first. And the one thing I can say is that after doing it for so long, it, it gets easier. And the tough thing is, you know, when you share it, you think people are going to look at you differently. And there might be, there might be some that do. And for those that do, either they're not ready to hear it or they're people you don't need to worry about it in, in the first place. But more than anything, you know, one of my first guests, Maggie Bellato, said it. She said, you know, once you share that mistake, it no longer owns you. It no longer has that power over you doesn't mean you didn't mess up it doesn't mean you didn't try to you know try to get better but it no longer weighs you down and it's it's powerful it's powerful to share these mistakes and i think it's important for us as educators as leaders and i call leaders everyone you know teachers as structural assistants anyone that works in a building or in education is a leader i think it's important for us to do what i say what i call stepping first in other words if, if I share a mistake in my building, then maybe the people around me will think, well, maybe it's safe to share a mistake. 
Or if a teacher shares a mistake, then the students think, well, maybe it's safe to share a mistake. This is an environment where I can be myself and I can realize that, you know, if I make mistakes, that's okay because we're all human. But the concern that I have and, you know, a big hope of mine with this book is that people are going to read this and realize that they don't have to be perfect because so often everything we see on social media is perfection. And that can be frustrating, you know. Well, being a teacher, we were told to be the expert in the class. And, you know, you're like, they're looking up to you. You're supposed all-knowing expert, but that's not really what you are supposed to be. You're more of a facilitator now, and you're trying to get them to feel, you know, like they can be own their learning and drive it. And um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, because I've worked with high schools and middle school, but I've had kids actually say, no, you're the one that's supposed to teach me. I'm not, you're, you got to teach me. I'm, I just want to get an A kind of thing. And I'm thinking that compliance, that idea of that is changing now. And so we have to figure out how we can do that. Then we have to change who we are and doing, showing that vulnerability, modeling that it's so important. Absolutely. And, and the thing is kids, Kids know so much more. I mean, with YouTube and Google alone, I mean, kids know so much. I mean, my son is seven and he can, he knows so many facts that I don't know. And I'm not saying facts are the end all be all, even that important. It's just that kids have so much more information and they have so much to teach us. You know, they might have more to teach us than we have to teach them. Isn't that amazing? I just, I just feel the world is going to be changing so fast because kids are now becoming advocates. I mean, you look at what happened with some of the kids and that are fighting the March for Our Lives group and some of the kids that are putting up things on uh, Instagram or some other places where they're showing off books that they've read. I mean, it's, we never had that. We never had those opportunities. So um, your book is there anything about your book other than you told the title? Let me just re- repeat it. It's sure. My Bad, 24 Educators Who Messed Up, Fessed Up, and Grew. So what I found after I shared mine is that I, it really changed me on how I was going to you know, be able to respond to the, I, I was teaching at a college and I did something. I'll, I'll make, I won't say what it is because they have to listen to it on your, right. Set, right? <laughs> but the whole idea is it changed me to realize that I have to develop a relationship with every student and hear it, listen to them and find out what they, you know, what, what are their concerns and also be flexible. And it changed me. And I didn't even know I was like, I didn't even know I was a hard, compliant person. It, I, w- I just wanted to go home and slap myself. <laughs> you know? No, I hear you. And, you know, really, it's, we, we do think that way, but it's, it's that right there. And I've, been, I've done the same thing that I want people to not do in the sense that I don't want people to beat themselves up over that because so often teachers, they're so hard on themselves as it is. Yeah. And, you know, none of us are perfect. And, you know, my thing is I've got 24 stories in this book to prove it, that 24 of the most amazing educators you could ever listen to and ever meet. And you're going to hear mistakes that they made. And these are people that, you know, some I'm sure folks have heard of, some they haven't. Some are, you know, visionaries in their field that made made mistakes in their sweet spot. I mean, 
Dave Burgess came on and shared a mistake where he, he bombed a teaching lesson two years in a row. And he had kids misbehave and could, didn't get their attention. Now, who on earth would ever think that kids would not focus and listen to Burgess? I mean, but he yeah. came on and he admitted it. He said it was so powerful. He said, you know what? Mistakes are just feedback. It's constant feedback. And when we get that kind of feedback, that's how we get better and we grow. Oh, it's so true. And I, you know, I could talk about all the mistakes that all of us <laughs> have done and, and, and even what other people have shared. Um, but I want them to get your book. I want them to go to your pod- podcast <laughs> because they're, they're really wonderful, John. It's, it's, you made me feel really comfortable. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. you, do, you do the same. I, I mean, I, this is a good conversation. I feel like we're at a coffee shop just hanging out talking. So, I mean, that's what, that's what a podcast is supposed to be. And I think that's what you do a great job of doing right here. Oh, well, thank you, John. That's kind of why I call it Conversations on Learning. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I guess I, I'm doing okay. And I did learn the first few, you know, that I've, I've done, I've made mistakes, things didn't work. And, but um, one of the things that I know is that um, the whole idea of learning is that it's change. It's all about growing and change and, and being open to learn from your mistakes. So you, would, you, you hit on something really good with that my bad idea. It's really I, got, I think I got lucky there, but you know what? I, I was tired. I'm not tired of it, but you know, so much of everything that we see is just perfection or excellence. And that's fine. We all, you know, we, we want to get better. We want to improve, but it's good to share the moments then when we're not perfect because every single one of us is broken in some way or another, we're not perfect. And it's those imperfections that make us who we are. And, you know, I, I don't want people to be hard on themselves because I see that so much time and time again. I mean, anxiety and depression are at all time high right now, I think in this country. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is because we're so hard on ourselves. And I can say that because I've, I have anxiety and I, I take medication for anxiety and I've, I've experienced it and then I still experience it from time to time, but I've gotten a lot better at not beating myself up over mistakes. And, you know, the sooner you do that, and my hope is that people read these 24 stories. They're very short. They're like three and four pages each. And the book is very short. It's only 133 pages, but it's a quick guide for people just to say, you know what? Okay. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that screwed up like this. I'm not the only one that hollered at a kid. I'm not the only one who, you know, let my ego get in the way. And then you think, okay, I'm not, maybe I'm not so bad. And you, you pick yourself up and you go back to work the next day and you realize, you know what, we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. Well, I think a lot of teachers are perfectionists. Yes. How, why they wanted to go into this profession is that they felt like this is something that basically they probably felt like they could control control it. You know, they, they'd be in a classroom by themselves with, these, with their kids. But it's changing now and they're finding that the amount of pressure that's on them, it has to change so they can let go and really enjoy the kids and watch them learn and be part of their journey. So it's, it's just wonderful that you're doing this. Is there anything new, anything else that you're going to be doing or just going on the book tour? Or? <laughs> oh, well, no, I, would, I don't know if it's a book tour right now. I'm going to be at a couple conferences talking about this. I'm going to be at uh, ASCD Empower in March. Okay. I'm going to be at National Principals Conference in Boston in July and possibly a couple others in between. But, you know, I want to share this message and I want as many people 
to hear it as possible because it's just, I, I can't stand to watch people beat themselves up and be hard on themselves. And I want them to know they're not alone. And um, it's all, you know, it's all about community and knowing that, you know what, you're not alone. There are others that make these same mistakes. So don't feel bad. And you're going to pick yourself up. You're going to grow and you're going to get better. Oh, this, well, I think I should end it there. You just said it so perfect. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. This has been wonderful, John. I, I just really enjoy talking to you and you made me feel so good. I hope that you enjoyed uh, the conversation today also. I did. This was a blast. Thanks so much. I could have talked all day. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with John Harper. Look for a complimentary blog post about John and my bad, where he talks about all the wonderful things he's doing. In fact, we'll have some resources and links for you on that blog post. So please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and we'd love a review. You can also subscribe to my website, which is at barbarabray.net and then you can receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.